We have been asking the question, why Jesus, and have done so through these weeks. Today we come to 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to look at a passage uh, that is written by a man who was skeptical, so skeptical in fact that he just was filled with anger and hatred. He tried to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear these words from him as a man who just did not believe and couldn't understand why anybody would. And his testimony about that is embedded in this passage where he explains the gospel. So we wrap up why Jesus by looking at this early summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. Lee Strobel wrote the book, The Case for Christ. I think many of us have read, how many of you have read The Case for Christ? Several of you. How many of you have seen the movie? All right. I understand it's a good movie. I hope you go see it. He wraps up the book, The Case for Christ, by surveying the supporting facts that point toward the resurrection of Jesus. He says, first, the disciples were in a unique position to know whether the resurrection had happened. They died proclaiming it was true. Nobody knowingly and willingly dies for a lie. Second, he says, apart from the resurrection, there is no good reason why such skeptics as Paul and James, the half-brother of Jesus, he thought he was crazy, would have been converted and would have died for their faith. Third, within weeks of the crucifixion, Thousands of Jews became convinced 
that Jesus was the Son of God and began following him, creating social and religious crisis in Israel and in Judaism. It was a mammoth shift for these thousands of people who just weeks after Jesus was hung naked on a cross in Jerusalem declared him to be the Son of God with power through his resurrection from the dead. Fourth, the early sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper affirm Jesus' resurrection and his deity. And we trace these back to the early days of Christianity. And fifth, and finally, the miraculous emergence of the church of Jesus Christ in the face of fierce Roman persecution. Quote, rips a giant hole in history, a hole the size and shape of resurrection, according to C.F.D. Mole. That's it. That's what we believed. That's what you believed when you came to Christ. You believed that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. This is the core. I love to eat avocados. Some of you know about this. The avocado seed is great big. I mean, it like takes up most of the fruit. Janet has taken some of these seeds and stuck toothpicks into them. If you have done this and put them halfway in the water, they will sprout. She has never successfully grown an avocado tree, all right? But she has sprouted these seeds over and over again. However, I must tell you, there was somebody in the early service who did sprout an avocado tree and planted it in their yard here in the New Orleans area, and it bore fruit for 12 years. So you can do that with an avocado seed. All right? Sometimes I'm amazed how big these seeds are because you will cut through the avocado and it's like a little bit of meat and then just this great big seed. I want you to think of the seed as the gospel, which Paul summarizes here as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, along with his post-resurrection appearances to the disciples and many others. This is the core. This is the seed of the gospel. There are other things that attend and pertain to our Christian faith, matters of morality and ethics and Christian living all of which tie back to the gospel, but the very heart of all of it is the gospel itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I prayed for you, small group leaders, this morning, as I pray every morning, I prayed for you that you would share the gospel of Jesus Christ in your class. And you ought to, every Sunday, some way, work in the fundamental that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again because that's the seed, the giant seed of our faith. It is the core. And we never get away from that. It's right there in the middle. The apostle reminds these believers in Corinth 
of this core, this heart of what he preached to them. And he wants them to do something with this gospel, this good news that he summarizes as the death and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? He wants them to hold it firmly. He says this to them. Hold firmly to the word that's been preached to you. Hold firmly to this word. Now, the apostles held firmly to this word. It consumed their lives. The apostle Paul gave his life on behalf of the gospel. He did all things, he said, for the sake of the gospel. He held it firmly. These eyewitnesses held it firmly. James was transformed, having seen the risen Christ as a half-brother of Jesus. Now, no longer thinking that Jesus was half a bubble off, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God and Savior of the world, and he became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. What changed this man so radically? It was the resurrection. And he held to this, having seen the risen Christ, he held firmly to this. The apostles held firmly to this, each one of them, as they went out into the world and preached the good news. The apostle Paul now is saying to the church at Corinth, I want you to hold firmly to the gospel. And I am challenging you to do the same. These believers in Corinth were not eyewitnesses. They were believing the testimony of the eyewitnesses, Paul, and James, and Peter, and others. They were not eyewitnesses, but they were believing that testimony. And as the truth was conveyed to them, Paul says, I want you to hold it firmly. There was a man in the early church named Barnabas, whose name meant son of encouragement. And he was much loved as a mentor and leader in the early church because he encouraged believers. He encouraged them to faith in Christ. I want to start a movement of encouragement at First Baptist New Orleans. Husbands, I want you to encourage your wives in the gospel. Wives, I want you to encourage your husbands. I want you to encourage your children in the gospel. Encourage them by talking about the gospel, helping them understand the gospel. I am delighted every time a child comes to faith in Christ and I ask them the questions, okay, can you tell me about the experience you've had of coming to faith in Christ? And they talk about it happening at home, in a bedroom or a living room where they were praying with their parents and they prayed and asked Jesus in their heart. That's a great way to trust Christ. It's actually the way that I came to faith in Christ as a boy in my living room. That's a great thing to do. So dads and moms take on the responsibility, the personal responsibility of sharing the good news with your children and encouraging them in the gospel. When we arrive here on Sunday mornings, we need to encourage each other in the gospel. We need to talk about what Jesus is doing for us and how the gospel has taken fruit in our lives and and transformed us. It needs to be a part of our interaction with one another to encourage one another. That encouragement is fundamental. So as we mix together in our small groups and in our care effect ministries and in our music ministry, every small group that we're part of, we need to be encouraging each other in the gospel. That's how you hold it firmly. All right? That's how you 
hang on firmly. You encourage one another. The church of Jesus Christ emerged in the wake of the crucifixion and resurrection because Jesus intended to build his church. And the apostles saw the risen Christ and knew that something momentous had happened in the history of mankind. And the church emerged, and it emerged as a group of people who held together tightly to encourage one another in this marvelous truth that they experienced and knew. Having placed their faith in Jesus, they created these enclaves of believers, not only in Jerusalem, but then subsequently in Antioch, further north, and then all across Asia Minor, and eventually all over the Roman Empire. These churches, these gatherings of people called out to follow Jesus emerged everywhere. And they are a great evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. I want you to hold it firmly, all right? Hold firmly to what you have heard, to the gospel that's been delivered to you. But I want you to do something else. I want you to pass it on. Paul says in this passage, what I have received, I pass on to you as of first importance. He received something from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, from the Old Testament scriptures, reread now in the light of the resurrection, the transforming power of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus as he went back to the Torah and the prophets and the books of history and the Psalms wisdom literature and the prophets and now he's rereading this in the light of all that he learned in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What he received he passed on to these people in Corinth. He says, I passed it on to you this wonderful truth. And Paul intended to pass this truth on everywhere he went all of his life. That's why he says in this passage, I labored more fruitfully than any of the other apostles, even though I was one born out of due season, even though I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, I labored more than all because everywhere I went, I wanted to pass it on. He passed it on at Corinth and Ephesus and Laodicea and all these different places where he went. He passed it on to them. When he got to Rome, He dreamed of sharing the gospel in Rome. He wanted to pass it on in Rome. He said it was his goal that I might preach the gospel in Rome. He ended up going to Rome in a prison ship with chains on his hands and feet. He was a prisoner. He arrived in Rome. This dream so captivated him that he shared the good news with the fellow next to him, the Roman soldier that was guarding him, the people in the palace, until the palace guard was abuzz with the news that Paul had passed on to them, this news that Jesus had died on the cross for our sin and risen from the dead. And the gospel flourished in Rome because Paul passed it on. Well, if the Corinthian church was responsible to pass it on, and the Apostle Paul was responsible as well, then I suppose it's our job too. Amen? We're called to pass it on. We call this the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone. 
Make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And listen, everywhere you go, to the very end of the age and the end of the world, geographical, chronological extremities, as far as humans can go, I will be with you. And so Jesus built his church as the gospel was passed on from generation to generation, and now it is our stewardship, and we too must pass on the gospel. Now, I introduced a grid to you a few weeks ago, that tic-tac-toe grid, and it has your house in the middle. We talk about loving our neighbor. And loving our neighbor happens in practical ways, as Jesus taught us in the Good Samaritan. It also happens as we pass on the gospel. I hope that you remember this grid, because I would like you to fill it out. Your home is in the middle, or your apartment's in the middle, and I'd like you to try to fill out the names of all of your neighbors around your house. Now, the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to love your neighbor, okay? Jesus said all the law and the prophets summed up in this, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. How are we going to love our neighbor if we don't even know who he is? We don't know their names. So I've actually done this. I have a list of my neighbors. I filled out the grid, and I put their names in the grid around my house. I hope that you will do the same. I want you to pray for them. I've had a neighbor that had a heart attack, got a neighbor who is grieving the loss of his son. I have two neighbors who have lost their husbands while we have lived there. They're now widows living near us. I have a neighbor who is recently from China and can't even speak English. And so we are dialoguing with the son, a little boy who does speak English, through him to the parents and trying to express our love, and we want to do that with all of our neighbors. I hope that you will do that as well. I have a neighbor who is a physician, and he and his family are Hindu. You may have that in your grid as well as you go around. Uh, we have a great diversity in our neighborhood. I want you to pray for your neighbors. Pay attention when something happens. If there's unusual activity, maybe just ask if they have any needs. Develop a relationship where you can do that. Tell them that you're praying for them if they are grieving or hurting or sick. And as you minister to them, the door will open for you to share the good news and to pass it on. Somebody passed it on to you. Somebody opened their mouth and talked to you about Jesus. Now, you have a great opportunity to do the same. We're going to use this grid some more, okay? We're going to be talking about it some more this summer. But I want you to start now thinking about who are my neighbors. Make sure that they know that you love them. Now, Paul says that he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. You'll see that as part of his testimony everywhere. When he tells his story, he talks about how badly he treated the early Christian people. It was on his heart. It was on his mind. And he shared it with kings and princes and leaders of his world. And he shared it through his letters over and over again. This is who he was. This is how he behaved. 
And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I like that. I started hearing several years ago, it is what it is. I didn't hear that when I was a boy, but now I hear it all the time. You hardly have a conversation where somebody doesn't say, it is what it is. <laughs> Maybe this is a prelude to that. I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul stands in grace. He stands in grace. He knew as a ch- person who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, who gave his consent to the murder and martyrdom of Stephen, who went into their homes and dragged them to jail for only one thing, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew he did not deserve the grace of God or the forgiveness of God. Finding himself destitute of any position to deserve this, he realized he received this all by grace. It is by the grace of God I am that I am. And there I am what I am. And there were some things that happened even after that where he lamented those situations and, and he, he talked about his weakness and, and how he wanted to do the right thing, but he'd do the wrong thing anyway. And Romans chapter 7 is a story of his struggle even after he trusted Jesus. He needed the grace. He needed it every day. And so do you. You need the grace of the Lord Jesus every day, and you need to enjoy this grace that God gives. Jesus bought it for you at great price on the cross when he died in your place. This was grace, and he intends for you to enjoy this grace and to stand in it and know that everything you do is a product of grace. He says, I labored more than all, but it wasn't me. It was God's grace operating in me and through me, and that's how it will be with you. God will use you mightily for his glory as you stand in grace, as you hold firmly to the gospel, as you pass it on to others in the power of the Holy Spirit. God will use you mightily, and you will enjoy being nestled into God's grace, knowing that you don't deserve it, knowing that you cannot earn it, but realizing with a heart full of gratitude and joy that Jesus provided it for you through his work upon the cross, his death on your behalf, and his resurrection, which proved him to be the Son of God with power, as the apostle says. So why Jesus? And how? I look at the evidence, I think about the resurrection, the empty tomb, the frightened disciples, their transformation. I think, how does that work in my life? I've got something in my hand. What do you think it is? An avocado seed. Venice says it's a coin. Okay, now, Dee's got an opinion over here, all right? And Venice has an opinion. But an opinion is not faith. Don't get your opinion confused with faith. Faith is not an opinion. 
well, it's my opinion Jesus rose from the dead. That's not, that's not faith, okay? <laughs> You're saying there. Okay, Vinny, I'm going to tell you. I have a coin in my hand. All right? Do you believe me? That's faith. That's faith. Vinny has just expressed faith. She has said, I believe you have a coin in your hand. Faith is believing what you have not seen. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or the faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's no longer an opinion. You are trusting me as I say, I have this coin. Vinny, I'm going to destroy your faith now. All right? Huh? I'm going to open my hand. What have I got in my hand? Why does that destroy Vinny's faith? Because her faith has become sight and she doesn't need faith anymore. Nobody in this room now needs to have faith that I have a coin in my hand. You don't have to trust me. You don't have to trust what I said. You don't have to believe me. You can see this coin. You can come up here and feel it if you want to. God has chosen for his own purposes not to subject himself to this kind of proof. Instead, he has given you enough evidence where you don't have to leave your intellect at the door. You don't have to quit being a reasonable and logical person. You can join millions of other people who have examined the evidence as Lee Strobel in the case for faith. Logical people. And you can say, you know what? The evidence points this way. I don't see how these things could have happened without the resurrection of Jesus. And I am believing in him. I am trusting him. I want to believe. The evidence makes room for you to believe in Jesus and to trust in him. God says to you, whosoever will may come. You want to? God won't coerce. He's not going to make you. But he invites you. Whoever will may come. I hope that you will exercise faith in God through Jesus Christ because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Even though we have these evidences and when we think about the resurrection in the early church, we think, what else could it have been? I mean, what other explanation is there? And for these 2,000 years, there are no other explanations for what happened. It seems, in fact, according to the evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so God invites you to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, to come to Him because you want to. Let's bow together. Lord, I pray for the person in this room who wants to come.
God, that you will help them with their understanding and their reason and their reasons and explanations. But Lord, that you will help them to desire you above all things. Lord, I pray that they will come because they want to, to you. That your Holy Spirit will draw them as you promise that you will and enable them in their believing. Thank you, God, that you've not left us without evidence. And thank you that you insist that we believe. Lord, I pray for others in this room who are struggling with holding tightly to the gospel, that, Lord, you will, by your Holy Spirit, increase the strength of their grip and your grip on them. God, that we will pass it on to our neighbors in the grid. They will know we love them, and they'll know about Jesus because we told them. God, that you will help us stand in grace in all of this, not condemning ourselves, judging ourselves unworthy, but God, knowing that you loved us so much you gave your only son, and that we are part of the folks who are whosoever will, We commit this time unto you and thank you that you are at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.